Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. Thanks for joining us on Primetime on Money FM 89.3. Bharati Jagdish and Timothy Go with you. Now, while the world is re-emerging from the COVID-19 pandemic, the global energy transition continues to be driven forward. The age of renewables is indeed upon us. Up to this point, though, the change has been primarily driven by government policy and consumer preference. But as the cost of renewable energy continues to fall, the global energy sector and the market will naturally shift towards renewables. So... A new study by the World Economic Forum has called for urgent action by both private and public sectors to ensure a resilient energy transition to address all of these challenges to environmental sustainability. It says the pace of energy transition needs to be supercharged as demonstrated by the recent spike in fuel prices and challenges to energy security. The question is how vital is energy storage and efficiency specifically in the energy transition equation? Well, to tell us more, Jennifer Boscard and Ching Client Portfolio Manager at Pictay Asset Management joins us. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, good evening. Thanks for having me here. So a lot of trends in the clean energy transition space, right? So what are the specific ones that you would draw investors' attention to at this point that are required to, in a sense, bend the curve? Uh, yeah, indeed. I would say that the most important trend today and what, what has really defined today versus, let's say, 10 years ago is actually the innovation um, that has actually allowed cost to massively uh, reduce over the past decade. So just to give you an example, the cost of solar energy has decreased by about 80% over the past 10 years. Um, The cost of onshore wind has decreased by about 50%. And so we're in a very, very special situation today, whereas the affordability of the clean energy transition, let's say a decade ago, was really cost prohibitive. Nobody wants more expensive electricity, right? But we're now in a situation where in most major regions of the world, building a new solar or wind power plant is actually going to be economically much more affordable or just makes more economic sense than sometimes even continuing to run an existing coal or gas-fired power plant. And so that's actually really the main driver that is really going to push the energy transition going forward. It's actually more now about the economics as opposed to before where it was a lot more reliant on government policy, on subsidies, but we really see that this has really shifted today. So Jennifer, in terms of investment though in the in energy transition, in which areas of the value chain uh, does Pictet invest in? Um, yeah, it's, it's, this is a really good question because, I, I mean, so far I've been talking about renewables and how the costs are really driving, let's say the economics are driving the build out there. But actually, if we think a lot about what is needed for the actual energy and transition, it's not just about um, building up renewables capacity. It's actually really about investing in the whole energy system and the whole energy inf- infrastructure that is needed to make this transition. So if I can talk about our kind of entire value chain and uh, where we see are the different segments within, let's say, the clean energy or the energy transition universe. Um, Of course, there is the power supply side, which is here. It's mostly about replacing fossil fuel or old power assets with clean energy power production. So here we are talking about mostly about renewables, but it is a lot more than that. Thinking about um, uh, we also have uh, what we call all of the infrastructure, electricity infrastructure that is needed to carry the electricity production from from supply to the demand, right? So we're here, we're talking about upgrades and transmission, transmission and distribution electric networks, for example. We're talking about smart grids. 
Um, there's also the whole, say, a wide range of opportunities on the demand side. And here we're really talking about energy efficiency. We see, you know, about transformations in many industries from the transfer, um, transportation industry, from the auto industry towards the manufacturing industry, where essentially everything needs to be shifted towards efficient manufacturing towards smart and autonomous mobility, towards more efficient buildings, for example. Um, and then finally, I would just mention that there is also uh, along the whole value chain what we call enabling technologies, which are essentially the critical technologies and components that are really important to that, that w- in all parts of the energy system that would allow the energy transition to happen. So here we're talking about power semiconductors mm-hmm. that are critical components in, in electric vehicles, for example, but they're also very important in solar power invergers, and they're also found in, in, in electricity networks, right? So these are really the enablers of the energy transition. So we really take a very holistic and broad perspective, trying to look for the best opportunities across the entire energy universe. Where does energy storage fall into all of this? Uh, yeah, so energy storage is, I mean, I describe it as kind of the holy grail of, mm. of the energy system, of the, of the energy transition. And that's because it is, let's say, a, a top priority to be able to manage intermittency of uh, increasing renewable renewable energy build-out in the energy transition. So I consider this as one of the enablers in terms of technologies. We have short-duration energy storage solutions such as batteries or, let's say, increasingly large-scale, utility-scale batteries that are increasingly being paired with wind power plants or solar power plants to provide let's say, uh, intraday or kind of one to two days duration storage. I think one, one area that still needs to be developed further is actually long duration storage. So this is what, you know, how do we manage when the, the wind doesn't blow for two weeks or when the sun doesn't shine for a long period of time. And that's actually one of the bigger challenges at the moment. I think that there's a lot of promises around green hydrogen, but this is definitely a space that is going to be very, very important going forward. We're speaking to Jennifer Muscard and Shane Klein, Portfolio Manager at Pictay Asset Management. Jennifer, what role does energy efficiency play in the energy transition equation? Well, so energy efficiency is actually uh, a really important part of the picture. If we think about the whole energy system and the whole kind of the whole part of the equation, a lot of people, when they think about the energy transition, they think about renewables, they, they think about kind of the power or the supply side of things. Mm-hmm. But actually, there's a lot that needs to be done on the demand side of things in terms of how we use energy, how we use our electricity. Partly that's because of when we talk about the energy transition, a lot of this is going to come from electrification. Electrification in the sense that when it's being provided by now very affordable clean power sources, it's much cheaper. Um, at the same time, of course, it's also a cleaner power grid. So if we're, t- if we're talking about electrifying a lot of different sectors, the automotive sector, if we're talking about, let's say, replacing gas heaters um, or uh, buildings in Europe, for example, with electric heat pumps, then managing that electricity demand is also going to become very, very important. So that's part of the energy efficiency equation. This is, again, supply, t- typically the way that the energy grid works is that supply needs to match demand. If, there be- if there's too large of an imbalance, what can happen is a lot of grid instability that's when you get blackouts, that's when you get curtailment, et cetera, et cetera. So the demand side or the demand response, the energy efficiency side, is actually going to be a really, really important part of the equation as well to be able to really balance out the energy grid. So as I mentioned earlier, we do see quite a lot of different opportunities here, whether it's for helping the manufacturing sector become much more energy efficient in their during their manufacturing processes, whether it's in uh, improving um, efficiency in building 
buildings, in terms of uh, reducing energy loss by uh, wasted heat, for example, and in cold regions, by uh, improving insulation or installing better insulation or switching lighting to LED lighting. So these are all the kind of different uh, opportunities across different sectors that we see that will also be part of the energy transition and a very important equation there as well. You know, you mentioned a lot of options in terms of what investors can look to within this ESG or environmental sector alone. You still have to be diversified, liquid and flexible, don't you, as an investor in this space. How exactly do you begin to do a proper portfolio allocation? What's healthy? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting because a lot of people have probably the misperception that investing in this space leads you to a very niche kind of portfolio or one that's very concentrated and not diversified. But in fact, when we actually build upon our themes and build our portfolios or let's say our investment universes within the themes, what we're looking for is a broad enough universe that allows for that kind of flexibility and diversification. So essentially, in, in terms of us building our portfolios, we don't do top-down allocation. So we don't do allocation, whether it's by, by sector or by geography. It's a really about stock picking. So it's really about selecting the highest conviction stocks from the bottom up. Um, and so essentially what we do is once we identify our investable universe of enough companies that are really relevant for the theme or that are leaders in this theme that we think will benefit from the energy transition, whether they are is on the supply side or on the demand side or on the enabling technology side, then everything that goes on from there is basically fundamental analysis and research to basically do, yeah, it's essentially it's fundamental stock picking. I'm sure that greenwashing complicates matters, doesn't it? So tell us what the due diligence actually involves here. Uh, yeah, no, this is actually um, a really good topic because greenwashing is becoming more and more of a concern and it's becoming much more scrutinized. I think the most important thing to remember about the energy transition is that when it comes to the, the greenwashing, let's say, fear or let's say a place where it's scrutinized the most usually comes from the supply side because we are essentially looking at, let's say, a whole industry that has been built up before uh, relying on fossil fuels that is now now transitioning towards renewable energy. And so then the question is, where do you draw the line in terms of that transition, in terms of the credibility of their commitments? Do you want to purely focus on the pure uh, renewable energy players, which would essentially, um, there can be, you can argue pro and against this in the sense that, um, you know, there's also value in giving capital to the companies that are also actively making a credible effort to transition themselves towards a cleaner energy future. And so this is where it becomes very important to become to, to be very, very clear about what do we mean by credibility of these companies. And so essentially, um, for us, it's, it's about making sure that there is no uh, further CapEx uh, investments being made in the legacy fossil fuel infrastructure and that most of the growth in, uh, growth investments are being are going towards the electricity grid and towards renewable energy. It's about also making sure that these companies are held accountable for their kind of transition strategy that they are committing to public targets such as the science-based targets initiative. Um, And so these things all need to be very kind of backed up uh, and and, and laid out so that if people do have questions about, well, why do you consider this a a credible transition company, then we have all of the reasons there. But essentially, I think a lot of avoiding greenwashing is being one very clear and transparent about what you are doing, um, what you are exactly investing in and, and not trying to kind of 
package things in a greener way that they are. Uh, and then secondly, it's about having the figures to back that up, basically. The thing is, I've also heard some experts say that investment in ESG-related counters and ESG-related equities, whatever the case, is is getting more popular today, but we don't know what it will be like tomorrow. Are people who are investing in all of this just really in it for the money after some time if they realize it's too slow and it's not as lucrative as they thought it was? Might they just walk away? Or is there more to this? Because this is also cause-based, isn't it? It's not just about the money. Yeah, well, you know, I like to think of this as more of a, a, a structural transition. I know that the whole clean energy transition some, just somehow gets lumped into the whole ESG discussion because yeah. it is considered, like you said, cause-based and environmentally friendly and all that. But maybe if we go back to the beginning part of um, this discussion, the main driver is actually not any more policy. I mean, yes, of course, kind of attention to sustainability and and in climate change. And there has been increasing awareness and momentum there. Um, But the reason actually why we're seeing inflection points and why we're seeing this theme really accelerate is not really so much because of that. I mean, we've we've known about climate change for a long time now, right? So why is action being taken now? Why is everything starting to change now? It's because, as I mentioned earlier, over the past three years or so, these new energy technologies have actually reached cost parity with uh, traditional forms of energy that has allowed them to really be able to proliferate and grow going forward just on an economics basis. And I think that is actually a structural change that, I mean, these types of great kind of transitions have happened many times in the energy world. Uh, It happens also in other industries throughout history. And so if we view this more as a structural, secular theme, then that for me is actually much more relevant and more important than simply putting this into an ESG bucket. Mm. Because it's true that ESG buckets, you know, it, it can, that there, there could be moments where we're in, um, investors are just in it because of the hype and things like that. But I think if we kind of try to remove what's the noise there and really dig down into the fundamentals and look at what's actually driving secular changes, um, then you'll find that it's the, the fundamentals are very solid. Mm, thanks very much for that analysis, Jennifer. Really comprehensive. Jennifer Baskardin Ching, Client Portfolio Manager from Pictay Asset Management. Thank you so much for joining us. You stay safe and take care, yeah, Jennifer. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.